because we've been under the law for such a long time, that's our default. Something happened, you go straight to the law. And I said this to us on Monday night, I believe it was, or maybe Tuesday afternoon, that we need to be careful that when we fall, when we, find, when we fall from grace, like Dr. Onofik was saying today, or when we find ourselves, when we catch ourselves in those moments, don't just, t- don't just take it lightly. You need to deal with that then. You need to deal with that. Otherwise, you will not get out of that rat race. You'll be forever in a mixture. And I'm telling you, Jesus said, you cannot put a new wine in an old wine skin. Both will be lost. Down to who you bring to your pulpit to sing a special song? Are they under the law? Are you going to release law on your people? Mixture. Or you heard of this famous evangelist that ministers in powerful healing and deliverance. And you don't know where they're coming from. They're going to release law on your people. And for the next three months after they're gone, you're dealing with law all over the place. And you're wondering why. You brought it in. You got to be careful. That's why Jesus said, take heed what you hear. And take heed how you hear. Because your hearing is a gate through which these things come in. Yeah. Yes. I just want to share something here. Yeah. Um, talking about what to do Monday through maybe Saturday. Okay. I became successful here when I opened up my school, the school I call it World Outreach Medical Institute. I became successful because every day as I teach, I throw in. The message. The message. I give you an example. I'm teaching on maybe Abraham Mandel's hierarchy of needs. You know where I start with maybe physical needs. You know the next level maybe security or safety needs. Then talk about law and economic needs. Self esteem and respect. Then the highest one is self actualization, spirituality. So as I'm teaching the nurses that all the patients that you have in the hospital, they are all in need of physical needs. Some of them in pain, some of them cannot feed themselves, and all that. And so as you teach, you now say what? Even when you go out to meet the mission field, you first of all start by giving them, giving them physical needs, you know, clothing. Yeah. Don't lose your thought. I want to ask you a question. Don't lose your thought. Remember what you're saying. Why do you think every day as you teach, you bring in spiritual things? Why do you think it happens? What do I think happens? Why do you think that happens like that? You said that because every day. Tra- well, it started because of the training I got. Okay. okay. But more importantly, while you are teaching, yeah. you bring us spiritual truth. You know why? Because you're a spiritual entity. Huge. What's in you is what comes out. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So, 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 so in approaching your teaching, your point of reference is not your textbook. Your textbook gives you head knowledge. But your heart, filled with the word of God and the spirit of God, finds a connection between the head knowledge and the life of God that would, that's huge. And the point I'm trying to make here for all of us this afternoon is you don't divorce your spiritual identity 
from what you're doing on a day-to-day basis. That's the mistake we've made before. Like Doc said, we wear masks. So I'm going to walk, I wear a mask for work. And that mask for work has a tendency to mask who I am. That's a good one. Please, continue. So uh, I change my occupation into vocation. Yes, that's right. I go to work. That's right. Ah, awesome. You're, you're hitting a very critical point. Now you can understand. In John chapter 4, Jesus was hungry. And he sent the disciples to get, get food. They went. We don't know how long it took them to get back. They brought the food back. He has engaged this Samaritan woman. And after all of that is done, they say, Master, here's food. Ah, I say, you don't understand. My meat is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish the work. He was not hungry any longer. (laughs) He wasn't hungry any longer. The hunger was gone. Why? Because he was doing the will. He was fulfilling mission and ministry. It's true. It's true. When we do these trainings in Nigeria, somebody's been there with us. Uh, my wife has been there. Some of us. We go from morning to from nine o'clock to five p.m. Easy. I don't. I don't eat it. I don't eat anything in between that time. I don't. I mean, you're there because we did the thing. That, I mean, how much break time do we get? I, I don't even think we take. I don't even. We, we, maybe thirty minutes if we take that, that that much. Because your meat is to do the will. That's amazing you said that. So that leads to another critical point. Why do people get burned out? Sir? Identity. They are not ministering out of who they are. They are ministering under the mask of another identity. Far from grace. That's it. I told you yesterday. Yeah, I think it was yesterday. I was almost when God called me over from Eastern Airlines. I was enjoying it. I could not miss a day. I could not miss a day at work. I don't care how high the snow is. I walk. Because I realized there were people waiting for me that needed life that I'm carrying. Yeah. Yeah. It's true. It's true. And I'm saying this with us, and I'm hopeful, I'm hopeful, I'm hopeful that we all take this back to our, uh, our churches. I want to see our people turn on for God. That will happen when they know who they are, and that they are created for something bigger than themselves. Something bigger. Yes, Pastor Falahan, sorry. Here. Okay. Hmm. Delivery. Hmm. 
Got six years and they still gave him a refund. But how big is our church that we will sit on this kind of chair and then the rest of you will sit on plastic holding chairs? And they'll say, Our pastor has dropped all the money. By the time the church goes, what are you going to sit on? If you're sitting on a gold chair, so I said, It's not your seat. You can't sit on this chair. You can't. Now, now let, let, let me say this now. Let, let, me give it, let me give you the other, other side of that coin. Let, let me give you the other side of that coin about Jesus and being, having to be identified. And this is, this is very important. There's another side of that equation. Jesus needed to be keys to be betrayed among his disciples, not among the Jews. Do you understand the distinction? Among his leaders, it was like them. But among all of the Jews or the Jewry, not necessarily like them. Does, does that make any sense? In other words, the care that must be taken is that you and I don't become head and shoulder way above the leaders within which we serve. It does not mean that God does not want to bless you or he does not want to do some unique things for you and stuff like that. So I guess what I'm just trying to say to us is, uh, yeah, there's a balance. There's a balance. And we saw that in, even in Exodus. They made a tabernacle. Everything was done. And some of those leaders went and bought gifts that will facilitate the movement and the work that God had called those guys to do. And Moses was struggling whether to accept it or not. And God said, take it from them. And give this to this leader group. Give this to that group. Oh, that scripture. Can I find it quickly? Uh, hold on, if I can find it quickly. Huh? Oh. Somebody saying something? Uh, I'm coming. I don't think it's in Exodus. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Where is that scripture? I think it may be in Numbers. Mm. Let me see. That was a very interesting uh, 
If anybody has anything else to say, they can say it while I find the scripture. Number seven, you said? Or was it the Deuteronomy? Let me just let me just go to my iPad and find it. Number seven. Okay. Ah, that's it. You got it. Okay. Give me number chapter seven from verse one. Thank you. All right. Now it came to pass when Moses had finished setting up the tabernacle that he anointed it and consecrated it and all its furnishings and the altar and all its utensils. So he anointed them. Wow, I've not, thank you. So he anointed them and consecrated them. Verse 2. Then the leaders of Israel, the heads of the father's houses, who were the leaders of the tribes and over those who were numbered, made an offering. Okay? And they brought their offering before the Lord. Six covered carts and twelve oxen, a cart for every two of the leaders, and for each one an ox, and they presented them before the tabernacle. Now, this, let, let me give you a context on this. In Exodus 25, when they began building the tabernacle, God told them what he wanted. Do you remember that? He told them which offerings to give. He, didn't, he did not tell them to, take, to give this. It is very, very important you understand that. He told them exactly what he wanted for the building of the tabernacle. And we are told here, number 7 verse 1, that Moses has finished the building. So what we are seeing here now, what these guys are giving now, is something beyond and above what God called for. Are you, are you understand that so far? Now, verse 4. Then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, accept this from them. Very interesting. Why would God have to speak to Moses about it? Why do you think God had to speak to Moses? He was struggling. This was not part of what God asked them to give. They have given what God told them to give. They have finished the building. Now some of those guys thought, you know what, we've finished build this building. Uh-uh. But these cats will be helpful. So they went and brought it. This ox will be helpful. So they went and got it. And Moses said, wait a minute, God told me exactly what to, what, to, what to accept. This is not part of what God wants. So God says, Moses, I hear you, I know your heart. You want to be considerate. But I'm telling you, accept it from them. Verse 4. You, you, you see that? Verse 5. Accept this from them that they may be used in the doing the work of the tabernacle of meeting. And you shall give them to the Levites, to every man according to his service. Verse 6, let me see if there's more. So, Moses took the, ark, the carts and the oxen and gave them to the Levites. Now, isn't that interesting? This was a need that came up once they built the tabernacle that God never addressed. He placed it on the house of some of those guys to meet the need. Moses was struggling. God said, accept it. Take it from them and give it to the Levites 
And that's exactly what they did. That's the balance. So what I'm saying to you is, um, don't just, don't, don't let's get, how can I put this? Just let's be designing. Let, let's, let's know what God wants to do in any particular time. To you, you may say, don't take it. To Pastor Mavis, you may say, in fact, build one bigger than that. I'm telling you the truth. We, we've just got, you see, if we reduce it to, to, to certain standards, we're back under the law. We must allow room for the Holy Spirit to say what he wants to do in a particular setting at a particular time. Because here, obviously, uh, God did not tell them in Exodus 25 to give it. These guys went and, and brought this on their own volition and freely gave it to the ministry and God said, take, them, take it from them. So that's, that's, that's the point I'm making. Yeah. In fact, verse 7, put verse 7 up there and see what he did. Verse 7 and 8. So two cats and four oxen he gave to the sons of Geshem according to their service. Two cats and four oxen he gave to the sons of... Oh, wow, it's a repeat. And four cats and eight oxen he gave to the sons of Merari according to their service. Under the authority of Ithamar, the son of Aaron, the priest. Amen? But to the sons of Kohath he gave none. Because theirs was the service of the holy things which they carried on their shoulders. Those guys were the ones that carried the Ark of the Covenant, the table of showbread. So they didn't need a cart for that. But for the other guys, God said, take it from them and use it for ministry like this. So what I'm saying to you is, you just need to, you, you need to just uh, acknowledge God and just let God determine whether he wants it or not. Amen? Does that make sense? <laughs> she, she doesn't like that. <laughs> She wants the formula. <laughs> and I'm not saying what you say. I mean, I'm, not, I'm not saying that, that that was not the correct thing to do. I'm just throwing out the other side so everybody here will understand there are always two sides to these things. Amen? So, so we have a answer. Amen. Good. Where's Pastor Tosin? What's, what's the agenda for tomorrow? You want more? It's 520, Doc. Doc? Yeah. Oh, yeah, you can ask questions, yeah. Where's the mic? Right here. Yeah. I've been, uh, yeah. Yes. Listen. I've been trying to uh, implement workplace ministry for quite a while. Oh, okay. Uh, because that was an area that God had been dealing with me on. Yes. Quite a number of years. Yes, uh, yes. Um, the one I noticed personally for me uh, was that as I began to understand it, yes, um, there's always an area that the enemy just uh, seems to attack me as I try to go. Yes, I always use this uh, scripture, I think it's First Peter, uh, when they talk about making your calling sure. Election sure. And uh, it talks about add to your First Peter, Second Peter, chapter one, verse five. Also, for this very reason, given all the diligence, add to your faith, virtue, to virtue, knowledge, to knowledge, self-control, to self-control, perseverance, or patient endurance, and to, and to perseverance, godliness. At that point of perseverance, you get a lot of tests. Pressures in the workplace. I get good onto the point of perseverance, the pressure of work, and the pressure of trying to be godly, on, to the point that I flip. I, I hope I'm making sense. 
You have you, you had enough. I've had enough. With the pressure from the enemy, you know, pressure of work, pressure of stress, pressure of co-workers, pressure of supervisors, pressure of uh, corporate manager director. It's almost as if at that critical point, I get I get to a breaking point. And when I get to that breaking point, I flip. I get angry. And when I get angry, what happens is either I lose that job and then I start all over. And God begins to walk with me again. And then I rise, I rise, and I rise. And I get to that point and the enemy puts a lot of pressure until I flip again. <laughs> and it was almost as if I'm isolated. I don't have anybody doing any other person, like a physician in corporate America, doing the same thing that I do, that I can say, how did you undo this kind of pressure? You know, and so I can't even train other people to cross that middle point. The barrier. Yes. And, uh, I don't know if I'm making any, any sense. I think, I, I, yeah, I think you're making sense. But, uh, and I want to teach it to others, but you can't teach what you have to overcome. Correct. Correct. Now, let, let me ask you this. When this experience was happening to you, were you under grace or under the law? Well, yeah, that's, that's another. I, I believe I start with grace. And then I get to that point which I feel that they are trying to cheat me. Once I begin to feel that they are, they are trying to take advantage of me, that's when my grace <laughs> shakes. But, but I don't think you understand my question. Yes. My question is, at that time in your life, yes. had you made a clean break from the law and you have crossed over to living in grace, or were you either in the mixture? Before you answer that question, let me use my example. Up to three years ago, I, at best, was a mixture. Okay? So if I'm going to, give, if I'm going to tell you, if I'm going to answer that question in my own life, I have, to, I have to. You see, it goes back to what Dr. Dollar teaches us. You have to create when it did happen. Who did it happen with? What house rules were enforced when it happened? You have to be able to define that. And once you define that, you, 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 you've peeled the onions back enough to know where, it's just like you got doctors. Now when I come to your office, you ask me all kind of questions. Uh, is this sickness in, the history, in, the, in my family history? Uh, did my father have it? Did my mother have it? What are you looking for? Why are you asking those questions? You want to pinpoint, <laughs> you, you, you want to eliminate certain things so you can pinpoint how you can begin to help me. So, this, so the same thing is true here for all of us. For all of us. We, we, can't, we, sh, we can't just blot out that this happened. Yeah, it is true it happened. But where were you in the economy of God when it happened? I could tell you for me, three years ago, at best I was a mixture. At best. Some days I'm under grace, other days I'm under the law. And when I'm under grace, it's by accident. It's not on purpose. Because I did not know the distinction between grace and the law. I just saw the Bible as one complete book, and I'll just live as good as I can, as best as I can. And, and that's, that's what. So it, if I was on, in grace, it was by accident, not intentional. Now, since the last three years now, God has been bringing this revelation to us progressively. Where I can now target living intentionally by grace. And how do you know if you are living intentionally by grace? How do you know that? I think this is more than, I'm glad you raised that question. This is important for us to know if we are intentionally living by grace. How do you know that? How do you pray? What are you saying when you're praying? If your prayer life has not changed since, quote and unquote, you came under grace, you are not in grace. You are still in mixture. 
Do you understand what I just said? You, you can't be praying the same prayers no matter how fervent, no matter how energetic, no matter, no matter how powerful it sounds. It will sound powerful. Why? Because God gave it. So the, the power of it is not what makes it grace or not. The law is holy. The law is good. We already saw that. It's in the scriptures. First Timothy 1.9. But you know you are in grace when your prayer language changes and when your attitude to yourself and others changes. Oh boy, did I open a can of worm? The grace-based prayers are found in the Pauline epistles. If my prayer is still 90% Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Hosea, I am sorry. You may as well be wearing Aaron's garment. <laughs> it's the truth, man. It's the truth. So that's why I was asking the question. So, so if I'm already in grace, I'll be praying positive prayers. I'll be giving thanks to God for his finished work in my life. Yeah. You go back and examine the New Testament. This is, this is true. And find out how many times the apostles prayed against something versus praying for something. Go and find it. Go and find it. And, and really, that's where the church is. The world knows us as being against something but they don't really know where we're, where we're for. We're against the homosexuals. We're against abortion. We're against uh, murder. We're against, we're, we are known for what we're against. They don't know what we stand for. Yeah. So really to answer to that question, doctor, doctor, I, I, you, I, you, need to know, you need to be able to identify where were you. And I'm telling you this great thing is as dangerous as it, as it is powerful. And the reason I say that is because it can, so, it can be so easily disguised. Sammy and I, my wife, and PJ, and maybe even you, uh, Doc, you, we know a person. I know a person in Nigeria. If I say, wow, this is so good, say, ah, it's grace. <laughs> this person has been saying to me for the, how many years now? Oh, I'm sorry. Grace and mercy. <laughs> he just corrected me. She's been, how long has she been saying this? At least 1989. Watch this. By the way, they were the ones from which God delivered Sammy, by the way. There is no church in the, on planet Earth that I know of that is more steeped in the law than that place. Yes. They'll tell you from the people how many hours a day you must pray. Must. How you must pray in that one hour. Uh, and they've, they've calculated how many units of power you get. Pa- you see, they think, they think, they think, take the micro. Take, because they, they think I'm, take the mic. You better tell them. It's the truth. How many units of power is in this in each one hour of prayer? Yes, units. So the pastor will say to you, how many units did you pray today? Yes. That's it. I'm, 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 I kid you not. And written books on them. How much life of God you must draw per day? Yet, if I say to them, oh man, this is, this is, ah, it's, it's, it's grace and mercy. Do you see what I'm saying? It's, it's grace and mercy. I say, you have a nice house, ah, it's grace and mercy. Your business, ah, it's grace and mercy. Everything plastered with that cliche, grace and mercy. So, so if you encounter a person like that, you think for sure grace is at work here. 
Yet, as a member of the church, if you say, I want to, God is leading me to travel from Nigeria to go to the U.S. for a vacation, oh, you cannot go. You must get permission. You, you, if you leave, the plane will crash. Ask them if I'm joking. That's why I said it can be as dangerous as it is powerful. Because people use this cliche without having an idea what they're saying. I was one of them. Uh, I, I keep on reminding you that. And many of us. So, so I want to make sure you understand. If you've not understood what I've been saying for three years, I'm hoping that what Pastor Della said on Tuesday morning, as simple as it was, helped you clarify it. If you think you have to do something to get God's favor and blessing and acceptance and love and power, if you think it begins with you, then you are under the law. It's just that simple. It does, there's no other way to couch it. And so to be under grace, you must accept what Jesus has done, what he has finished, and begin from that sitting restful position. That's it. And if that's the case, then when you are praying, I'm not praying to be healed, I'm thanking God for the healing he's made available. That's how that changes my prayer language. I'm not praying to get a job. I'm praying for the I'm thanking him for the job he's provided to show up. You see the difference? It changes. Even Jesus at Lazarus' tomb, what did he do? He said, Father, I give you thanks for you hear me always. That's what he said. He wasn't trying to get God to do something he's not already sanctioned. He said, I give you thanks for you hear me always. Lazarus, come forth. He didn't pray for spirit of death. Banish here. Hey, fire. Fire from the mountain. He didn't do that. There was no acrobatics. There was no gymnastics. He didn't flip over. He didn't generate energy by saying, he didn't do anything like that. None of that. Grace prayer. Jesus said, look at, listen, he, he, he said, you speak to the mountain, not to God. He said, if, if you speak to this mountain and tell it to be uprooted, be removed and cast into the sea, you believe it in your heart, it will happen. So, 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 so that's what I mean by it. your prayer life will change. So I'm not, I'm not begging God to heal a disease and speaking to the disease to tell it to go to where it belongs. Because God has already done it. If we are not consistently doing that and taking that as a point of reference and life, then we are still in and out. Now, I also have to say this. For, for, you know, it, it's a process. So I just want you to relax. I don't want you to beat up yourself. You need to understand that. But even, because even for Apostle Paul and Peter, after Pentecost, under the era of grace, they struggled. You need to understand that. It's, it's integrity that I tell you that. A whole Paul. I can't remember what city he got to, and they told him, I said, listen, this, this is Jewish, so they believe in the law. They, believe in the law. they are still very lawyered. So when you come, this Timothy shave his head, perform the vows with us, these guys should be one like us, then we can listen to what you have to say. They told him that. Guess what Paul did? The apostle of grace, he complied. He complied. He did exactly what they want him to do. Shave their heads, do the vows, went through the room. Now, he didn't believe in it, but he needed to do something to connect with them so he can bring them to where he is. And of course, you know the story of Peter. That Paul had to, he mentioned that in the book of Galatians, he had to contend with him and disagree publicly with him for his hypocrisy. So, those struggles are there. But we should not still be struggling three years later, five years later, ten years later, 
if this message is truly establishing us. And when we struggle, we should acknowledge that, yes, I struggled, but I'm not struggling because I think my struggle is a right thing, but I'm struggling because I need God to empower me to overcome and go beyond that. If you are struggling and you are keeping your struggle, then you are definitely under the law. Do you understand what I'm saying? Ah, hmm. mighty ego. I'm glad you finished your open your mouth. Okay. Oh, you mean the one that uh, Paul did? It's a compromise. It's a compromise. It's a compromise. <laughs> I like I, I, see, I like how the words are changing from struggle to compromise to diplomacy <laughs> to tact yeah because you mentioned something critical that at the end number one we all know that he never believed in it yes he did it for a purpose yes and he got what, what he wanted yes at the end of the day yeah so do we allow for that show of wisdom or diplomacy in some cases okay you know, I, I am... Okay, go ahead. Go ahead. Well, well, well there's a little bit... Um, but I would say that because I, I tend to... I, I try to be logical uh, in, in this thing sometimes. Paul had no precedent. Really. He didn't have the Bible. He didn't, hmm. have, he didn't have the foreigners. So he was coming from a place, a really distant place in trying to get people to his way of thinking and to his revelation. So what excuse do we have? Okay. We have, we have seen, we have heard, we have experienced, we have been taught. So do we still need that level of compromise and that level of, of diplomacy, as you put it, in order to get to where God has already shown us? I'm not so sure. I think that we have seen and experienced this, we have learned it, and we probably, I mean, know to do good at this point, and we should be doing it. Those are my thoughts. Praise God. Pastor, you have something? Yeah, I think it's uh, You think it's compromise? Okay. <laughs> to find, I, I think there was another scripture really, where Paul where the struggle of Paul in this area was actually mentioned. I cannot remember. You, you, you recall any? No, not, not, not chapter 7. Yeah. I'm talking about in, in one of his missionary journeys. Something else that happened that showed clearly Yeah, he refused to go to Mark. Yeah, John Mark. And then later, I did not call him. Anyway, no problem. If I find it by tomorrow morning, I'll, yeah. Also, a time in which he was using all his Trump cards. I'm a Roman citizen. I'm a Jew. Now, that, clearly, that's wisdom. Okay. Clearly, clearly that's wisdom. Did you, did you hear what he said? When he was using his Roman citizenship, I'm a, I'm a Jew, I'm a Roman. That's, that's wisdom. That's wisdom for sure. Because none of that constitutes the law or grace. That, that's, that's, you know, uh, yeah. When we are talking about him going back to the law, this is when he had to fulfill certain ordinances, certain uh, league, uh, uh, law of Moses claims. Yeah, that's, that's clearly when, uh, like, like Peter who refused to eat with the Gentiles. Clearly. Hypocrisy. Uh, because he knew, the, he knew grace and yet he wouldn't live grace. But the bottom line is we understand what we're saying. And I just want us to just take that to heart. Uh, so, I don't know who said it yesterday. I think it was Pastor Dukas. 
especially for those of us that give messages. What message are you giving? Are you still telling people there are 10 steps of what they must do in order to get what? If you're doing that, what do you think that is? Huh? Legalism. 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 <laughs> Praise God. You guys are looking up here. It's raining. You can't go anywhere now. What are you going to do? <laughs> I just stopped. <laughs> you, have, you, have, you have a question, Mike? Um, Sammy? Derek? Okay. Get the mic. You are next. Yeah. Yeah. This week has been a tremendous blessing. We've not even finished yet. And I think for those who uh, are regular preachers of the word, the takeaway from all of this will be, as we look at our past messages, sometimes we'll now begin to cringe at their mind. Why did I say that? And I think the way forward now will be, if our messages from here on, don't make us cringe. <laughs> That's good. To it. That's good. That if you listen to it 10 or 20 years from now, you say, wow, yeah, that was a good message. Because I know for many of us, when we look back at our messages, like, wow, did I just say that? So I think this is a blessing from here for all of us. Amen. Dr. Yanko. Yeah, I'm trying to uh, figure out how we, where we place uh, suffering for righteousness' sake. Uh, they know you are a believer, and they're trying to. push you. And you know the reason they're trying to push you. Am I making Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, maybe I give you an Maybe you can make more sense. Okay. Uh, there was a situation in which a, a lady was going to be sent out an inmate was going to be sent out to go and commit abortion. Hmm. And uh, I was the regional or state medical director, which was in Kansas. I was in charge of the whole state. So any prisoner that is going out at all, they have to get this state medical director to approve it. So what they've been doing in the past was they would give them a pass to go out to do the abortion. But they don't want to know about it. They just give them a pass to go out. So they do, you know, what you don't know, you don't. Don't, yeah. Yeah. So they go out, they do what they have to do, they come back. But this particular lady, her pregnancy was a little bit advanced. <laughs> so they wanted to keep her in the infirmary in case there's complications. So they are, so they are because they're going to keep her in the infirmary, they now had to involve a physician and they had to involve State medical director, which be me. <laughs> so, so they called me. They said, "Well, this uh, lady is going out uh, for a pass, and uh, they want to bring her back to the infirmary." I said, "Why does she need to stay in the infirmary for a pass?" He said, "Well, uh, she's going to have uh, an abortion." So I said, well, our contract doesn't cover abortion. 
So, uh, we're not going to pay for it. He said, oh, no, no, you don't need to pay for it. It's not on that. No, it was a problem. We had a contract as a private company. So you don't have to pay for it. It's not on that, what you cover. You know, so don't worry about the payment issue. I said, then why are you calling me? So they said, well, it has to stay there. They want that to stay in the family when she comes back. I said, oh, okay, if, she, if that's the case, who is she going to? I need to know the doctor. In case something happens, we can pick up the phone and call him that will look at some complications here. The lady is bleeding. So then the next thing that, did, that happened was the assistant commissioner for prison, the people that gave us the contract, called me. Mr. started shouting, why are you guys jacking things around? It's not your money. I mean, we don't, we're not asking you to pay for it. Why are you jacking things around? I said, where is this coming from, sir? I said, I'm asking where this lady is going to make sure that she's not going to some butcher I want to make sure he's a certified gynecologist so that if something happens, we can call him so that this place doesn't die on our hands. So why are you not jacking things around? So I just said, I'm not jacking. So we're going to be shouting So anyway, so then, but see the thing is, the reason why he was getting out of hand was somebody has tipped him and said, He's a Christian. He doesn't like doesn't like abortion. And that was why they were taking it to another level. All I was asking for was an innocent medical question. But because of the fact that I'm a Christian, they thought, which was never in my thought at all, they thought I was trying to make it difficult because I didn't like abortion. Does, does, am I making it? Yeah, yeah, I'm hearing you. And it got so out of hand that so many people got involved and almost, they almost terminated because of this, you know. So, but, so my question is, how do you, when you know the reason why this thing is happening, and then they, by the time the whole thing is resolved, they've gotten you totally out of grace, <laughs> if I can use that word. But it was just that you were trying to insist on what you think is the right thing to do. Wow. So your question is, how do you handle that kind of a situation? Yes, how do you handle it without, um, and you know, it's, the reason why the enemy is using it actually is because he knows where you are. But, 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 but I, I care you keep on mentioning that the reason, the reason, the reason. The reason maybe, doesn't matter. Maybe we don't, I don't, I don't the reason doesn't matter. Okay. The reason should not matter. The point is, you're trying to, you, like you said, trying to get a medical question answered. Whether they are antagonizing you because you're a believer or because they don't, for, that, that's really irrelevant. The issue is, I cannot control what they say to me. But I'm in total, complete 100% control of what I said to them. So, I have to have enough food of the Spirit manifesting to where I don't let them move me off my grace position. Now, I'm not saying it's easy, but I'm saying to you, that's part of why I have to be praying that Pauline prayer every day. Because it's God that's at work in me both to will and to do of his good pleasure. I have to employ that. I can't answer them based on how I feel because once I allow how I feel to lead the conversation, it's a bad day already. Always. You will never win if you go with your feeling or your emotion. And, uh, and I think what, you and what we're all talking about in the foyer becomes important about empathy and sympathizers. So, I have to be empathizing in that situation where I'm hearing them, but I can still at the same time be objective. I cannot bring myself into their world, uh, what they know, what they don't know, the reason or what not the reason. Once you do that, 
you allow that to factor in, you're in a defensive mode. And the conversation is going to go south. But once I can separate myself from all of that, I now do what Jesus said in John 7, 24. I believe it is. He said, judge not according to appearance. The appearance here is, it looks like they are victimizing me because I'm a believer. But judge righteous judgment. In other words, how will God respond to them? That's what, that's what I plan. Now, I'm not saying it's easy. But that's why I've been filled with the Spirit. First Thessalonians 5.18. Every day comes in. Every day. You see, when we go to work, workplace, we have to put on that armor the same way a preacher goes to church on Sunday morning to preach. That has to be your approach. You know how you prepare when you go and go give a, a lecture, a speak, a speech or something. You, you, you pray, you seek God, you prepare your mind. That's the same way you have to do when you go to work. Because remember, the people you're dealing with there, that's your congregation. And any number of things can happen, go wrong in any given day. For which you must, the Christ in you must rise up and, and answer that question. I think, that's, I think that, that will help us if we, if we take that approach. Yes. There you go. Suffering. The fellowship of his sufferings. James said, Count it all joy when we pass through tribulations. Because it is in that that your you know, your perseverance. There is there is not a place that you can learn uh, you know the fruit of the spirit called long suffering. It is not through
Amen? Okay. I think that should be the last one. When I used to work in a hospital and nursing homes, I would talk to my patients, you know, pray with them and all that. Then, now that I'm on one-on-one, I have a patient and the mom, I tried to talk to her one day. Even though I was talking to her, she called me, you know, in the house and we were talking. As we were talking, she said, don't tell me about your God. I don't want to hear it. Hmm. I'm an atheist, so don't talk to me. I know you are a Christian. I know you are a believer. Go and read your Bible. <laughs> if you want to talk to me about my daughter, then you can do that. But I don't want to hear anything about your God. Yeah, I have nothing to do with him. And she keep on and she snap at me. confused about what to say to her, you know. I'm All right. I think we should call it a day. Oh my goodness, I'm so sorry. (laughs) How do you talk to an atheist? Is that the point? Again, just don't be fixated on an individual or how profession of faith, whether she's an atheist or not, you live out your life. And you wait for the God moment, the opportunity of her vulnerability. God forbid, she's in a trial, she's in a situation, something happens, the Holy Spirit lets you know this is the time you sow that seed. Or this is the time you water the seed that's been sown. And you take it from there. But don't don't take it upon yourself to say, I must talk to this person today. Don't do that. Remember the key is the finished work of Christ. And we, because of our relationship with him, are co-laborers with him. He, God, is the one that draws them. You must remember that. It's, it's, we can't, without him, we can do nothing. Okay, so once you recognize that, you just every day live your life, be loving, be kind, you know, do whatever you know, you, 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 you've promised to do, and wait for that God moment when you can share with her. And if it never happens, it's not on you. As long as you're not living in a way that takes her further away from God. That's it. That's it. Father, we just want to thank you for our time today. So much has been said. Healings have taken place. And we just give you glory, honor. We bless you for your goodness, your loving kindness unto us. Lord, we keep on praying for the eyes of our understanding to be enlightened so that we may come to know the hope of our calling and the inheritance that we have in you. And so we thank you, Holy Spirit, that you are the one who's at work in us, both to do and to will, both to will and to do of your good pleasure. 
Thank you that we continually bring you delight and pleasure because you're already pleased with us. You already have pleasure in us. We thank you for this relationship, how you loved us first and gave us the Holy Spirit to help us to love you back. And so, Father, we thank you. We are looking unto you, Jesus, and seeing the opportunities you create for us and seeing the work that you are doing so that we, as co-laborers with you, can be engaged together with you. So, Father, we thank you. We bless you. Thank you for a good night's rest. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that we come here refreshed in the morning as we close out this meeting. We honor you. We bless you. We thank you for the change you are bringing to us. Yes, Lord God, I thank you tonight that even as we go home, we are attentive unto your words, that you are yet speaking to us and we are hearing you because we know that your sheep hear your voice and the voice of a stranger will not follow. Thank you for your blessings. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.